Let's take our Bibles and begin in Exodus chapter 13 this morning. We're going to be in four different books, so thank you for having your Bible. Be ready to turn. Let's take some notes. We'll have some um, thoughts on the screen for you to help just kind of facilitate our study. Over the past three weeks, we have studied about the leading of the Lord and about how to discern when the Spirit is leading us, and then when we discern how the Spirit's leading us, how to respond when it's clear that He is leading. But a question kept popping into my mind this week, and initially I dismissed it because the answer seemed so logical and the answer seemed so obvious that I wondered if I even needed to answer it. And then I kept thinking about it and kept pondering it, and it really started to hit me that this is an important question. So here's the question for you. Why do we want to be led by the Lord? Why do we want to be led by the Lord? Now, that seems like an unnecessary question to ask, right? Of course we want to be led by the Lord. If you trust Him and you love Him and you're living for Him, of course a believer wouldn't want anything other than to live for the Lord. But while that's almost certainly our desire, the, the evidence may not bear that out. And the answer may not be so obvious. So um, there are really four tough questions, and you're going to see these on the screen. There are four tough questions that we have to wrestle with. If we really want to be led by the Lord, then we've got to answer these questions. If we want to be led by the Lord, why would we ever question anything the Lord does? If we really want to be led by the Lord, why would we ever question anything the Lord does? Because his leading's perfect. All right? Second question, and you can get these later. If we want to be led by the Lord, why would we ever struggle, should be ever, ever struggle to trust in him completely? Why is faith partial? Why is faith uh, kind of a, a difficulty for us to, to implicitly trust in the Lord. So if we really want to be led by him, why would we ever struggle to trust in him completely? Third question. If we want to be led by the Lord, why would we ever be hesitant, have fear, or complain? We'll see evidence of that this morning. Because if we know the Lord's leading's right, and we, and we want to really follow him, then there shouldn't be any hesitation, there shouldn't be any fear, and we certainly should never complain about it. And then here's question four. If we want to be led by the Lord, shouldn't prayer be a massive desire of our heart? Shouldn't what we just did in praying for Agnes and Ray, shouldn't that be the essence of who we are? Because if the Lord's going to lead us, not only do we have his word, but we have this direct access to the throne of grace to be able to call on his name and ask him for help. So if that's really our desire to be led, then shouldn't prayer be our massive desire? You know, we had a great, great prayer meeting Tuesday night. But I'm always a little discouraged when I go home. I know I shouldn't be that, that the room's not full. Because if prayer is really the desire of our heart, Actually, prayer meeting should probably be attended better than any other service we have. Now, I don't say that to be critical, and I don't say that to bring shame or anything like that. What I'm trying to do is say, if we're going to answer these questions with, with honesty and humility, it's pretty easy to conclude that we have some issues with doubt and uncertainty and control and even frustration about how the Lord is leading us. So 
while our sincere intent is to trust him, while we say in our heart, yes, absolutely, Paul, I want to I trust the Lord. I want to live for him. I want to faithfully follow his leading. The practical reality is that there are some gaps. There are some gaps in our commitment and there's some gaps in our execution. Now, I don't think this is a, a lack of belief that the Lord's worthy. We sang with great praise this morning. I think we know the Lord is worthy. We know he's faithful. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's an issue that we have a doubt about who the Lord is, but, but we definitely aren't as confident as we should be. And I don't think that's an overstatement or I don't think that's critical. I think it's just the reality. I think it, it means that we need to understand the reasons and the rationale behind following the Lord. Logic is a great persuader, right? When you can analyze a problem and take it through to its conclusion, that's important. And, and this is counteracting to the enemy because he's constantly trying to devalue the Lord and trying to undermine his word. And pride in our culture demand our way. So if we can logically progress, why would I want to follow the Lord? We think we know the question, but, but maybe we need more evidence. And then when we look back at our past experiences... That motivates us to press on because I don't know about you, but I can name a hundred times without even trying when the Lord's been faithful. A hundred times when he's met the need. A hundred times when he's answered the prayer. A hundred times when he has provided in ways and been faithful when I couldn't expect it. So we've got logic, we've got experience, and then we've got the Word of God. And the Word of God outlines some very clear reasons why we want to trust the Lord. One of the one of the benefits of Scripture is you can look at how people mess up, right? You can also look at how people do the right thing. And there's always a cause and effect with us in the Lord. So as we look at these examples, it shows us what to do and what not to do. Because the Lord doesn't call us to blind faith. Please hear that this morning. The Lord does not call us to blindly trust in him without giving us abundant evidence of who he is and how he works and how he's faithful to us and what he wants us to do and the fact that he's worthy of our trust and we're stubborn and we're, we're hard to convince. But through his word, he shows himself faithful. He shows himself true. And he never once, not one time, you can read the whole Bible, not one time will you find God being inconsistent. Not one time will you find God being incapable. Not one time will you find God being unwilling to help his people. So that's what we're going to rest on this morning. And for our study today, I'll go quickly, we're going to establish five spiritual principles to explain why we need to be led. All right, so if you want at the top of your notes, say, why do I want to be led by the Lord? All right, let's come up with five reasons. The first one is here in Exodus 13. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. All right? Spiritual principle number one. We need the Lord to lead us because we are prone to fear and turning back. We need the Lord to lead us because we are prone to fear 
and turning back. Now, we know the scene well here in Exodus 13. Israel's been in 430 years of slavery in Egypt. They have seen God's plagues wear Pharaoh down to the point that Pharaoh finally demands that they leave after stalling and going back on his word and saying, I'll let you go. Finally, Pharaoh says, get out of here. Now, at this point, Exodus 13, 17, there should not be a shred of doubt about the Lord's power. There should not be a shred of doubt about the Lord's authority over all things. And there also should not be a shred of doubt about his mercy in delivering them. So they set out, two million of them, on what should have been an 11-day trip toward the land of abundance that God had promised to their forefather Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a land. It's going to be yours. Here's the outline of where it is. And it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. And I'm going to be your God and bless you. His salvation and his promise had been beyond profound, just like it is for us. Think about what God's done for us. We sang about this morning. God has redeemed us. He's given us more gifts and more blessings than we can possibly count. And just like he was with them in the wilderness, his spirit is within us. So whenever he wanted to lead them and wherever he wanted to do it, it should have been just an easy point of trust. God, we've seen you work. You've delivered us. You've done miraculous things. You've led us. You've promised us. Therefore, it won't even be an issue. We're just going to trust you. Same thing applies to us. God's redeemed us through Christ He's delivered us. He's changed us. He's transformed us. He's indwelled us with his spirit. He's given us the promise of heaven. He's given us all power that we need to get through. So trust really shouldn't be a problem, should it? But it's not easy, is it? We get a little nervous when the path is kind of unfamiliar and unclear. Even when we have his promises to rely on and we kind of Say, well, I don't know, and I'm anxious, and I'm fearful, and of course, the enemy exacerbates those sore spots. He reminds us of times when we've been disappointed, or when it seems like the Lord has let us down, or when prayer hasn't been answered like we thought it was going to be, and, 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 and when we failed to trust his greater plan. But the enemy doesn't tell us that it was you, it was your problem, it's because you didn't trust. Now he just says, God's not faithful. Now, the Lord knows this about us. He knows this propensity in us. He knows, God knows that you and I are prone to fear. That's why 900 times in the Bible, he says, do not fear. You repeat something 900 times, it probably is an issue, correct? Do not fear. He knows our common inclination is to turn and run when there's difficulty. And listen, Israel was the poster children for that way of thinking, right? Fear and run, fear and run. It's all throughout Exodus. So look at what the Lord does here. Look at verse 17. He doesn't lead them through the land of the Philistines, even though that's a more direct route. That's, that's straight northeast, right through the Philistines up to get to Canaan. But he says, I'm not taking you that way. Instead, I'm going to take you into the wilderness down by the Red Sea. And we know what's going to happen there. Now, why? do this. He does this because he knew the people. It says it right here. 
the people might change their minds about going forward when they see war. Because the Philistines were ruthless warriors. They were people that loved to kill. And they hated the Israelites. Now, the fact that the Lord is preemptive here, the fact that he says, you're not going that way, you're going that way, shows us that there are a couple ways that our minds think that cause us to question what he's doing. Now, we got to admit this because this is, this is fact. First thing we tend to do is we tend to be impatient. How many struggle with that like I do? Thank you. I see that hand. Impatience. Want to know now. Want it now. Everything's now. Everything in our culture is now. If I have to wait two seconds for that page to load, I am in a bad mood. You know I'm right. Well, the Wi-Fi is horrible in here. I'm sorry, I didn't know you could get instant information. Remember the days we had Encyclopedia Britannica's that were 10 years old, cracking on the shelf, remember that? Now everything's instant, instant, instant. And that feeds into our desire to be impatient. So the people might have been frustrated that why are we going in the desert? There's a shorter way to go. We can go right back through the trade highway, right back to where we need to go. And they got to be frustrated, second, by going into the wilderness. Seems excessive and unnecessary because they can't see the big picture. And it's hot and it's rugged and it's miserable. And why are we going this way? You know, there's a spiritual component of that. We usually want to avoid the wilderness, don't we? We don't like the wilderness. We don't, we don't like that time of physical trial and spiritual trial and emotional trial. But those trials and those personal difficulties, they aren't comfortable for us. We don't, we don't want to live in that place. Uh, I'm sure Agnes today would much rather be healthy and running around than dealing with cancer. God says those trials, I'm allowing them because they refine you spiritually and you get, they give you the opportunity, and this is what we just prayed, they give you the opportunity to see me work in miraculous ways. And that showed at the Red Sea, because initially when they got there, it was a big obstacle for them. And what do they do? Oh, it's okay. There's a Red Sea, and Pharaoh's troops are right behind us, and they want to kill us. You know what, Moses, here's what we're going to do. Moses, you don't even need to tell us to do it. We know what to do. We're going to have a prayer meeting. We're, we're going to pray, and we're going to call on the Lord, because we know God's faithful. Look, ten plagues, he got us out of Egypt. He's not worried about the fact that Pharaoh's followed us. So you know what? Everybody stop. Shh, everybody. Listen, we're, we're going to call on the Lord right now. We're going to watch the Lord work. I don't know what he's going to do yet, but he's going to work. What do the people do? <laughs> they panic, and they fear, and they say, Moses, were there not graves in Egypt that we could have been buried in? Why'd you drag us all the way out here to be buried? And Moses says, what am I supposed to do? And God brings the cloud of his presence around and sets it right behind Israel, between Israel and the Egyptians. And he says to Moses, raise your staff. And Moses lifts up his staff and the waters part. And the Bible says it was walls of water on each side and dry ground. How can that be? That's the miracle of God. The Lord wanted to show his power we prayed about this Tuesday night at the end of our study, saying, Lord, I want to pray for something bold. I want to pray for something that's way beyond me. I want to pray for something, and we use the word, I want to pray for something miraculous to happen in my life. Now, God is willing, and he's able. 
So when will we believe him in that way? And notice one more thing before we move, because I know I'm spending a long time on this point. Notice that the Lord was taking them away from war. This is something God does in leading us. He takes us away. We may not even be aware of it on a day-to-day basis. But I have to believe there are so many times when he steers you and me away from spiritual danger and lessens the conflict and says to the enemy, you can't have them right now. You can't tempt them right now. You can't push them right now. You can't oppose them right now. I'm going to intervene just like the cloud between Israel and Egypt. I'm stepping in right now because that's my child. See, the Lord is a gracious God. I don't want to see my kids in pain ever. So how much more does the Lord look at his children and go, I don't want you to go through that. So God many times will steer us away from war. Now turn over a couple pages to chapter 33. Let's see the second point. Exodus 33. And we'll start in verse 13. I'll start reading as you turn. Moses is speaking to the Lord. He says, now, therefore, I pray you, if I found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. Important phrase there. Let me know your ways, not that I figure out what I'm going to do, but that I may know you better so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? It is not by your going with us, so is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now here's the second thought. The second thought is we need the Lord to lead us because we shouldn't do anything that isn't of the Lord. We need the Lord to lead us because we shouldn't do anything that isn't of the Lord. Now, this text is 20 chapters later, and a lot's happened. The Red Sea miracle, the complaining, God's daily provision, the manna, the quail, the water. Then the Lord meets them at Sinai. His presence is obvious. There's fire all over the top of the mountain. The mountain, there's an earthquake. The people, they have to put barriers around the mountain so the people can't even get close because Moses says, uh, God says they can't come onto the mountain with you. Then God gives the Ten Commandments. God gives the law. The people get really impatient. Back to that. And they say to Aaron, the high priest, you know what? Moses is taking too long. It's only been a week. So so, so we'd we'd like another God. And Aaron, the high priest, who should have said, everybody sit down, we need to repent, says, no, give me your gold. Give me your jewelry. And they build a golden calf, and they say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You just created it. This God let us out. And then Moses comes down, and people are struck dead because of the rebellion, and he says, take sides, and then God says, you're going to be punished. Forty years, you're going to wander in the wilderness. And then he says, but so you won't be discouraged, I'm going to establish my presence. And he designs the tabernacle, and and they build the tent of meeting where the Lord comes and abides among them. And Moses would go in, and he would meet with the Lord. And as he does, go back to the text now, he says to the Lord, I need fresh leading. Because the last 20 chapters have been a mess. The last, the last weeks 
we have gotten so far off track. So Lord, I need fresh leading. And look at his prayer. This is one I need to pray more often. He says, let me know your ways that I may know you. And the Lord says, I'll be with you. I assure you of my presence. And then Moses makes a statement. Oh, this is so important. He makes a statement that needs to be ingrained in our thinking. He says, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us forward. Oh, you and I need that. Our families, our marriages need that. Our children need that. Our church needs that. If God isn't going before us, I don't want to go. I'm going to stand right here. I'm not going to walk ahead of you. I'm not going to walk around you. I'm not going to criticize you that you're not leading. I'm just going to stand here. And uh, Lord, help us. We need to be so full of faith and so full of the Spirit that we don't want to go anywhere or do anything unless the Lord is leading us. Everywhere, in everything, with every person we come in contact with, that the Lord's hand would be on it. And if it's not, don't do it. If you can't say the Lord would bless this, don't do it. Now, that seems severe, but that's what it means to have a complete surrender to his will. That's, that's the daily prayer of yieldedness, and it starts with knowledge and discernment. Well, what's of the Lord? Paul, how do I discern that? We got it right in our hands. You want to know how to discern what God's saying? Read the book. But, you know, when I try to fix something, and I'm, I'm like the world's least handy person on the face of the earth. Like my wife is a hundred million times better at fixing stuff than I am. Mostly because I'm really impatient. I get discouraged. Can't fix it right away. I'm done. I'm going to go sit on the couch. But, you know, now with the internet, right, you can fix anything. You just Google it. Oh, do this. Oh, wow. It's that easy? Okay. So she's down there taking apart the dryer and stuff. I'm like, okay, honey, I'll make dinner. How about you fix? Like, it's weird. I'm okay with it. I'm securing my manhood at this point. The point is, you can find just about anything online, right? You want to know what the will of God is? Bible says the will of God is your sanctification. Well, how do I learn to be sanctified? Well, we got 66 books to tell us. Well, that's, oh, I can't understand it. Yes, you can. Don't tell me you can't understand this. You can understand every word of this. And if you don't understand it, then ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. And if you really can't still understand it, then get with a couple of mature believers. Come to a Bible study. Say, I, I, what does that text mean? Because God's given us his word to teach us. And if, and if we can't justify it, and I use that word carefully, if we can't justify it through his word, if we can't say that's of the Lord versus that's of self and of the world, that, then don't do it. If it comes from the Spirit, go with it. If it doesn't come from the Spirit and his wisdom, then don't. Israel proves this over and over and over again. And that's the reason, as we look at that, that we should be so desperate for the Lord's leading because we are clueless without it. I am aimless without the Lord telling me what to do. And I know I think that I have wisdom of my own, but listen, that, that's foolishness to God. 
He says, my ways are perfect. Psalm 1 says, he knows the way of the righteous. Psalm 37 says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. We should want nothing else. So there's the point. We want him to lead us because we shouldn't do anything that isn't of the Lord. Now turn over to Psalm 143. And let's look at point number three. Point number three is, we need the Lord to lead us because things are so messed up. That is a deep theological term from the Psalms. Things are messed up. Honestly, I couldn't think of a better way to put it. We need the Lord to lead us because there's a mess. Verse 8. Let your loving kindness, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in you. Teach me, Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For the sake of your name, Lord, revive me, and in your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. Now, verse 10 really stuck with me this week as I watched the utter chaos going on in Washington. Utter chaos. This confirmation hearing for Judge Kavanaugh, and I'm not being political here, I'm just talking about what we're watching. People disrupting Senate hearings with shouting and protests. Senators completely out of order. Slander, dirty politics, the slant of the news. People crying that abortion's going to be taken away like that's a bad thing. And on and on and on and on it goes. And as I took it in, I thought to myself, this is crazy town. This is insane this is the government of the greatest nation on the world, and it's a complete circus. And I know how many of you love clowns. It, 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 I don't even know what to say anymore. I watch it, and I'm like... Now, it's not hard to see that that cannot be the way we should walk, Right? That, that, that can't be the way it's supposed to be. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm not even talking about decorum. I'm talking about the lack of a straight path in anything the world does. Now, verse 8, look at it. David says, let me hear your loving kindness and teach me the way that I should walk. And then in verse 10, he says, let your good spirit lead me on, tell me the next two words, level ground. That phrase, level ground, really appeals to me. Because there are many times in life when it feels like I'm trying to walk from rock to rock down by the harbor. You ever done that? Great way to sprain an ankle. Kids will do it because kids are, you know, kids and they are limber and stuff. Me, I'm like, <laughs> I'll stay here, take pictures. It'll be awesome. You try to walk in a straight path on those rocks down by the harbor. The only time 
that it does feel that way, where we're kind of just crooked and jagged, is when we're not walking by the Spirit, and we're not walking by faith in His leading. Now, our pride immediately jumps in and wants to debate that statement and say, that's not right, I'm fine, I really want to follow the Lord. But listen, the Lord only leads us on level ground. David writes in Psalm 5.8, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my foes. Make your way straight before me. Psalm 16.8 says, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be moved. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. In other words, the Lord always wants to lead us on a straight, even, well-lit path. Now, it's narrow. It's not wide, not a super highway, it's a little path. But he says, I'll make it straight, I'll make it flat, and I'll light it up for you. So the Lord wants to steer us, he wants to guide us. And he says, I'll direct your paths, but you've got to walk with me. And more than ever in my 54 years, I look at this messed up, confused world, and I say in my heart, Lord, I just want you to lead me. I just want some level ground to walk on. I just want to know the straight path. I want to be so clear about your wisdom, and I want to trust you so implicitly that no matter how uncertain things are and how confused the world gets, No matter how much the tide shifts, I want to be standing steady on firm ground. And we need that because of the fourth principle. Turn back to chapter 27 of Psalms. Thank you for turning. Chapter 27. Interestingly, the phrasing here is very similar to what we just read, but the focus is different. Psalm 27, look at verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a level path. There it is, because of my foes. Don't deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Therefore, he speaks to himself, wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Why do we need the Lord? Why do we need his leading? Because our enemy never stops plotting and fighting. Our enemy never stops plotting and fighting. Now, if anyone other than Jesus knew opposition, it was David and Paul. Both men faced enemies on every side. Both men faced people trying to undermine them and destroy them in any number of ways. So when David talks about his adversaries, it's visceral. But even more so, it's spiritual. Because like Paul, David understood that opposition he dealt with was the enemy's multifaceted attack that was designed to discourage him and dissuade him and to drive him away from the Lord. Now, it's a sobering fact that our enemy will not stop his defensive attack against us until he is thrown in the lake of fire for all eternity. 
And sometimes that attack is direct, and sometimes that attack is indirect. He uses people, he uses situations, he uses emotions, he uses any number of things, anything that he thinks will gain traction. But the enemy cannot change one undeniable truth. The Lord Jesus Christ has victory over him. He can't do anything about that. And the Lord has declared us, his children, his people, the ones who have trusted in him and been redeemed by Jesus Christ. He says, you have victory. You are overcomers through me. So David, look back at it, can confidently ask, Lord, teach me your way and lead me on that level path. He's certain that the Lord will deliver him from his adversaries, people that are lying about him, people that are accusing him, people that are threatening violence about him. But, but look at a very important conclusion about the leading of the Lord in verse 13. Look back at it for a second. He says, I would have despaired unless, I, I would have been in depression, discouragement, anxiety, fear, been beaten down, been in a corner, in a fetal position, crying, not knowing what to do. My, my, my psyche would have been ruined unless, unless I believed in the goodness of the Lord. Anytime you're in a crisis, anytime you're in a trial, when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel worn down, when you feel like there's no hope, just remember the goodness of the Lord. Just remember his faithfulness. Because this is the perseverance that's required by faith to know that the Lord never fails us or forsake us and we can rely on him even in the middle of a huge crisis. Believer, you and I never have to doubt the goodness of the Lord. Instead, he says in verse 14, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take courage. And when you do that, when I do that, God will give us victory and joy, and a level path. So no matter what the opposition is, when we go to his presence, the enemy will be powerless. So why do we want to follow the Lord? Wisdom, his presence, level path, victory. But there's one more. I know you're tired of turning, but go to Isaiah 42. It's the last time we'll turn. Isaiah 42. Let's look at the last spiritual principle. We need the Lord to lead us because there are times when we just don't know what to do next. There are times when we just don't know what to do next. Now, verse 16 is going to wound our pride a little bit, but it has a profound promise to us. The Lord says, I will lead the blind by a way that they do not know. In paths they don't know, I will guide them. I'll make darkness into light before them and rugged places into plains. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. Now, this word was given to the nation of Judah, the bottom two tribes, the nation of Judah, through Isaiah during a very unpleasant time. The Lord had responded to their rebellion and their refusal to yield to him by carrying them off into captivity in Babylon. So this chapter, Isaiah 42, is speaking to the exiles. And God is describing to them the reason why this happened. And he's also giving them a hope of his restoration in the future. So when we read verse 16 in that context, we can learn from it and we can apply it to our own lives. 
Because the Lord tells his people, look at it one more time. I'll lead the blind by a way they don't know, and in paths they don't know, I'll guide them. Now here's the point. Why was Israel blinded? They were blinded because of their sin. But there are times in our lives where we're walking with the Lord, and the next step is just not clear. And we desire his direction, but we just don't see it yet. At that point, listen now, instead of falling back into fear... Instead of wandering away from righteousness, instead of taking a visit to crazy town, instead of feeling defeated by warfare, what do we need to do? We need to seek the Lord. Don't don't get defeated. Don't wander away and say, well, God's not faithful. Don't, don't, Don't do things that are that are nonsensical. Just get in the presence of the Lord because he says, I have paths you don't see yet. You're blinded to it. It's not a criticism. It's just reality. You see in last darkly. You don't see everything that I see. I see in the eternal now. I know exactly what's going to happen to Paul Rhodes' life. I know how many days he's going to live. What's going to happen. What his kids are going to turn out. I know all of it. So instead of just, ah, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Having a determined faith is so critical here. And here's the truth I want to end with. If the Lord was willing to restore Judah, who had so thoroughly defied him, and so thoroughly rejected him, and so thoroughly refused to trust him, and he says, I will lead you out of blindness onto a level path then how much more will he do for the one who loves him and seeks him and trusts him? I mean, seriously, if God can redeem Judah, and God still has a plan for Israel, after all these years, thousands of years, of still praying for Messiah who's already come, if God still says, I'm going to restore you, Judah, I'm going to lead you on a level path, then what is he going to do for us? If you're taking notes, just write down 1 Corinthians 2.9. You may know it. Eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man that which God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, praise the Lord. What's God saying? You have no idea what I want to do. You have no clue what I have prepared for you, and you can't even fathom it. You can't even fathom how much I want to bless you on earth. You can't even fathom what it's going to be like when you stand in my presence with billions of saints saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and all of heaven will cry out, worthy is the Lamb. You can't even imagine it. I'm not watching you? You think I don't have my hand on you? I do. I do. So in just a minute, here's what I want to do. I want to invite you up to the altar to stand before the Lord and ask him to lead you. But let me be very clear. I don't want this this morning. I don't believe this should be kind of this somber confessional time that's kind of awkward and embarrassing. In fact, I want to propose just the opposite this morning. We have just seen a great promise from God. So if you love the Lord this morning, I want to encourage you to claim it. 
with joy and boldness, ask the Lord to lead you and to make your path straight and level and to give you faith that is steadfast and unwavering. Let's make today a day of great confidence. All right, Lord, you say that, that my eyes haven't seen and my ears haven't heard all the things you've prepared for those who love you. All right, well, Lord, I love you. Maybe you don't love the Lord this morning. Maybe you're opposed to the Lord. Maybe you're not walking with the Lord this morning. I want to tell you, right now is the time to get that right. Don't go eat pastries and drink coffee and act like everything's wonderful. Get it right with the Lord. You've never trusted him? Do it right now. Trust him. Ask him to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you know what? He says, I'll do that right now, right here. You're not walking with the Lord? All right. So you're going to continue the rest of the day not walking with the Lord? You're going to be okay with that. Tomorrow you're going to wake up, you're not walking with the Lord again. Or are you going to get that right? Because he loves you and he has plans for you. So I want to do that. I want us to just start to come up and boldly bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, we need you to lead me. I need you to lead me. I want to pray, but I want to pray for a miracle right now, okay? He's able to do that. I don't, again, I don't want this to be, oh, no, this is, this is joy. Like, we're going we're gonna to walk up here. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for you to work, Lord. I'm ready. Just do it. Not a time to be shy. Lord, I need you to work. You know the problem. You know the issue. You know how I need to be. I want you to lead me right now. Not demanding. Asking for his grace.